This is Stripped with Specs and Vooj, brought to you by William Hill, a podcast where we ask celebrity guests about the football shirts that have shaped their lives. The first one, the unforgettable one, the haunted one, and the named one. This week's guest is quite simply a footballing icon. So here's Peter Bersley's attempt at the rap. <laughs> Compton and Long Beach together, now you, you know, know you're in trouble. trouble. Ain't nothing but a G thing. Baby. When I'm sitting on the side, Maradona's my favourite player of all time. I love him. I've got my England kit on, on the bench. And inside me, I felt a clap. I wanted to jump up and go. <laughs> what a goal. Honestly, how could you not appreciate that goal? I'm, I'm, listen, England fans, don't, don't hold it against me. But honestly, how can anyone not appreciate Let's that goal? Let's get clear. I mean, I can't wait for my dad to see this. Mm because he's going to ask me for some money. He actually watched the episode. Of, of course. Oh, he's going to watch this one. Mm. Of course. And of course, this name pops up so much with our guests because he is the most loved. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for John Barnes. <laughs> yeah, round of applause. Why are you saying it to your dad and not your brother or somebody as if I'm much older than you? What's going on? <laughs> we had this conversation <laughs> earlier up here, so stop pretending. I'm young. I'm very, very young. Yeah, your dad must have had it when he was young. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. Oh, you I'll take that. Oh, yeah, 86. 86. My dad and his brothers, if you would ask them back in the day, who do they support? They would never see a football club. They would just say John Barnes. Well, you know, I think that a lot of, particularly like from a lot of my age, mm-hmm. young black kids, they would looked at Cyril Regis, who's a bit older. Mm-hmm. You look for the first black players, don't you? And I suppose mm-hmm. um, if your dad was a particular age and I started playing at 17, 18, then I suppose that's, that's, that's understandable. But um, it's a little bit different now because, of course, people just love their clubs, don't they? Mm-hmm. Although in saying that, a lot of Muslims now support Liverpool because of Mo Salah. Mm-hmm. So you can see why it actually works that way. Yeah. But, um, but interestingly, as much as it works that way, am I allowed to tell them that you're a Burnley fan? I don't know. Of course you get because, because you've got the Burnley coloured glasses as well. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the Claritin blue. Yeah. So that is very strange that you're a Burnley fan and you're obviously, I think you're from London because you sound yeah, like you're yeah, from. Yeah, North London. That's so right. where did Burnley come into this? So basically, I've got a, a fantastic uh, uh, league on my football manager game. So I've, I've been playing football manager for years and I'm managing Burnley. So if they didn't so well in the game, did you I not choose, Did you choose to manage Burnley or did you chose to manage Burnley? I chose. They, you know what? Burnley messaged me and offered me tickets and sent me a shirt. So who were you supporting before Burnley then? Arsenal. Right, so you're an Arsenal fan. Yeah. You? yeah, but right, can I change teams? You can't change teams. Well, you can, yeah, you, cannot, you cannot change. Can you change teams? I think you can change you, teams. You are young. I can tell you're young now. That's what young people do. You can't change teams. Why can't you change teams? Because if you support a club, mm. you support it through thick and thin if they're not doing well. You well, can't say they're if, not doing what's going to change. Listen, John, what, what if you support it through uh, thick yeah. Yeah. and thin, yeah. Yeah. and then it's thick again, they're winning stuff, yeah. and after they've won everything, you go, I'm going to move on. So you're, No, no. Because you don't support them because they're winning or losing. You support them because you love them. And you've got to... But love them forever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. A, that, that's to women, but not to football clubs. <laughs> you stick with your club. You don't have to stick with your woman. You've got to stick with your club. <laughs> What's your team? Well, this is, yeah, this is where it gets we're, a little we're the, we're the complicated. We're a little bit yeah, we're, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. We're, the, the we're different. It's complicated. Okay. I, I was born in uh, what was, well, Yugoslavia, Croatia, Serbia. Mm-hmm. Red Star Belgrade. Well, yes. Partizan Belgrade. Both. I support both. And you must be unique in that because I've played in Yugoslavia many times and Partizan and Red, Red you know Star what? do not even so like each other. Let me not say other. that. You, know, let you, me say, you better cut that bit off. Let, let, let me say Red Star. So you have some Yugoslavians <laughs> after you. Let some me say Red Star. Because I go to games. When Red yeah. Star in Europe, I go to games. But when Partizan play, I support them as well. It's almost like when, I don't know, you can say Jermaine Genius or all those boys, just when mm. black players, we'd support Serbian teams or mm. Serbian players. Mm-hmm. No. But there's like a... No, no, because it's like supporting Man United and Man City, Everton and, and it Liverpool. It is weird. Tottenham and Arsenal, you can't support both. I, I get what you mean. But you're Amazing. happy now because Arsenal are doing well and Burnley are doing and well. Bur- yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think it's, it's better for me when you've got more or you could just change or go out on loan. I'm not sure about that. No? I think you've moved around in life and... I have to go back to Arsenal. Have you had this conversation with any other of your guests? I don't know some people are coming I on think we have. for the yeah, live we show. Yeah, we have, we have. And I doubt, do any we of them have, agree with you? Rio Ferdinand no. said that you can support Manchester United and Manchester City. Rio Ferdinand said that on this show. <laughs> he said that, yeah. Make sure you play that in when we, yeah? Yeah, Rio said that. I don't that. think Rio would be happy if, if, if you showed that on that show. Because <laughs> I keep teasing Rio, because interestingly, I like when Rio was growing up, he yeah. said he used to like me. Yeah. And I've spin, spun it mm. to Rio being a Liverpool fan. So every time I see Rio on television anywhere, Ooh. and he, I say to him, you're, you're, I, I say, you're a Liverpool fan, Rio. He goes, no, I wasn't, no, I wasn't. So he would get in trouble if people knew he was a Liverpool fan. One question. Yes. I, and I'm asking you this because, you know, I have to listen to you. Okay. Can I support Burnley and Blackburn Rovers? No. Even though I've got a show with Blackburn. I'll give you Burnley and Arsenal. 
but I can't give you Burnley and Blackburn. They're the two big rivals, aren't they? I think, I think this is a question for the audience. We've all presented our arguments. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, leave a comment underneath. Mm -hmm. In the comment section, can you support both teams? I think me and yeah. you are going to be in the unpopular opinion. Of course, Absolutely. Of course. I think Huge minority. We're like a third political party right, right. now. We're not even in the second. But if we win... We're getting minimal if votes. We, if we win, that means you can now support you, two You teams. win, I will do whatever you want me to do. Yes! Because I can guarantee 100% you won't win. <laughs> Although we do have a perverse <laughs> society whereby we say, let's let them win so Barnes has to do something stupid. I'll be like, we're not trying to come back. trolls will win. Yeah. All right, well, look. I mean, it's an absolute pleasure yeah, to have you on course. the show. I mean, I don't think we've had anyone... Any player referenced more by our guests none, than none. John Barnes? So we have, like, you know, the, the final shirt we talk about is the named one. Yeah. And, you know, the players get to pick the name they'll have on the back of their shirts. And your name comes up all the time. But once again, the interesting thing about mm. that, if you're talking about players aged between, say, 25 and 35, yeah. they would have been young when I was still playing. Whereas I suppose in 10 years' time, they'll be talking about maybe a guess who coming on next, who are obviously younger than me. And this is how football works in cycles, because of course no one talks about George Best and Bobby Charlton anymore, and they're two of the greatest players ever. Mm. You know what I mean? So mm. I'm lucky at this time that I'm still, I'm old enough for the 25, 30 year olds mm. to then talk about me when they were young. As much as you know, you spoke about me when you were young, and I'm not questioning your age, but I'm questioning that statement. <laughs> uh, but I understand it. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like you're like, because you know, you're a legend. You know, you're, you're like a club itself. But I feel like you're you're busting off you're busting off a bit. Like, I'm trying to be. I'm, yeah. No, look, I don't I don't believe in legends. Right. Because legends don't exist. You know, William Tell. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about legends, they don't exist. Mm. I'm a human being. I'm a real person. I was part of a team, and some people may appreciate me for being a, a, a good player, and mm -hmm. may say you are better than some of your teammates. But mm -hmm. ultimately, it's a team sport, and I was part of a team who who who, who was successful. And I don't I don't see myself better than any of my teammates well, because you can only win and lose together. So. Mm. We can't help the way people see us, but we yeah. have to help the way we see ourselves. And right. I see myself as a very normal person. Yeah. I love that, man. Yeah. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah, we are yeah. like that as well. It's just yeah. normal. Isn't I mean, the difference normal. was that you were one of the first black players mm. to have such an influence and so much love, and you were spearheading. You're no, but the thing about you, you know, when, you know when black players say that, and, mm. and black players, they said they're very happy to be the first. Mm. I'm not happy to be the first. You know why? Because that meant that there are black players who weren't given opportunities before me, who had the opportunity, who had the, the potential, who had the ability, but they weren't given the opportunity. So as much as I may go, I'm the first black player to play for Liverpool. Harry Gale did, you know, once or twice, but I was the first mate, and that could make me feel really good. And I said, well, that's a bit sad because there are black players who should have been given that opportunity who weren't. Mm. So as much as, you know, my ego also isn't that great, but it just shows how sad life was back then in terms of opportunities for black people who, like black goalkeepers. You know, this whole thing about when I played in the, seven, in, in the early 80s and, even when I played in the early 80s, you know, the black players had to be wingers, you had to be quick, you had to be skillful, but you couldn't be in positions of responsibility. Defensive midfield, goalkeeper, centre-back, the, st the, the, the strong one who may not be that good, but he's got good mentality. There were no black players like that because the perception of them was you're quick, you're skillful, can't think too much, so you play on the wing. Now, there must have been black goalkeepers in the 70s playing around non-league football and black defensive midfield players, but because of the perception of their capabilities, they weren't given opportunities. I can't be happy for that. That's, that's, a key, that's a different yeah, that's, different, that's, that's different. That's a different topic. No, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it can be broken out. It can be broken yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. I, I know for my dad, for example, I mean, he, they, they showed me the goal you scored uh, at the, uh, I called it the Macarena. Yeah, the Macarena, yeah. yeah. Americana. <laughs> Americana. Um, Brazilians must have been drunk because uh, somebody had to tackle me. I watched that game and I'm looking at Junior, who's one of the best defenders, Le 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 Leandro, best right back in the world. And it was like, they just went, well, somebody's going to tackle him. This is end of the season. They wanted to be on the Copacabana beach. They couldn't be bothered. You're, you're <laughs> saying they must, they must have been drunk. They must have been drunk. Not even your book control. So, look, these are Junior, Leandro, Mose. These are some of the greatest players in the world. And it was like, well, let's no, just get to I'm, the Copacabana. I'm, I'm, I'm not having that now. Because no. you're, technically, you had this way of playing. Like, uh, it's not what Messi was doing now the way you were Oh, no, no, listen, don't get me wrong. I understand and I appreciate yeah. it. I knew what I was doing, but I'm talking about the woeful attempt at defending, whereby you see Brazilians in a serious match. And I always use the, the similarity of, you remember Ryan Giggs' goal against Arsenal uh, in the FA Cup? Why have you got now, that? Now, is a, that is a, a competitive game where mm. all the Arsenal players were given 100% to try and stop him. The Brazilians don't look like they were trying that hard. Was it, it's a friendly though, wasn't it? It, it was, was a friendly, friendly yeah. that's what I mean. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it can big me up a bit. I mean, I can say it, but you, I mean, you're, you're on my side now. Look. You're not supposed to say that. I thought you were going to go, no, it wasn't. They were trying really hard. He went, oh, but it was a friendly. They weren't really trying. You invited them on the show to make fun of me. The first one. This is retro. West Germany. It's simple. Plain white, black collars, black cuffs, the badge, and the Adidas logo. 
I lived in Jamaica, my dad was a colonel in the army, and we sent him to the Munich Olympics in 1972 for his birthday. Oh, yeah? So, of course, he brought me back my first pair of football boots, Adidas Gerd Muller, who was the centre forward. Then, of course, well. two years later, 1974, World Cup, West Germany versus Holland. I had the kit that my dad had brought me back, which is a classic white, black shorts, white socks, West Germany. Of course, I was growing up in Jamaica. You know, we'd learn a different history in Jamaica. So it's not until I came back to, came to England as a 13-year-old, and then when they asked me what my favorite team was, I said West Germany, and they told me that the Germans had bombed somebody's chip shop in the 40s. I didn't know anything about that. So, of course, they said, you can't have West Germany as your favorite team, so I had to get another team. But West Germany, with Franz Beckenbauer, Wolfgang Overall, Set Meyer, and all the whole team, and that Bayern Munich team who won the, champ the European Cup in three years. So Bayern Munich and West Germany were my favorite team, and that's a classic kit, which is why when I came to England, Leeds all white, I don't know if you remember it, yeah. from the 70s. I like crisp, clean, simple, all white, all red. Um, so that was my first kit that I had, and that's the first kit I loved, West Germany. The very, white very shirt. simple, like yeah. round oh, collar, yeah. Yeah. old Adidas badge, mm. black cuffs on the, on the sleeves, long sleeve. And I feel like the materials were different back then, like 70s. I feel like it wasn't a polyester. Oh, no, 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 no. They would have been heavy. Because heavy. in would, fact, I remember when Liverpool... Kit. That they actually said that when Liverpool played in the cup final in the 70s and they, and they said when they sweated in that kit, it got so heavy, you yeah. know, so yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a heavy kit. So I'm a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to kits. So that's why I like plain, well, that Leeds kit, all white, or the West Germany, all white, black shorts, white socks. Proper you, kit. You, you change countries though, West Germany, you, you support West Germany and then you change teams. Yeah, because of course I supported. Oh! Ah, one second, one second, one second. No, I don't support Germany. I supported oh, West, West Germany. Germany. West Germany. Right. We were talking about the Berlin Wall before. They let yeah. him over, and that's when it changed a bit. Oh. But West Germany was the mean. And right. in fact, in 1974, West Germany played East Germany, and they lost one nil to them. Mm. And they thought it was a bit of a fix because they went through into easier group after losing. So then West Germany lost to East Germany, and they got through an easier group, then got to the final against um, against Holland. So so I don't support Germany. West I supported Germany. West Germany. Niche. I like Niche. it. I like that, yeah. Just... How much has the world changed? Because obviously back then it was Yugoslavia for me, well, my family. Well, one of my goals, I scored against Yugoslavia. We won 4-1 in Belgrade. And okay. of course, after that, you had Croatia, you had Serbia, yeah. and you got Kosovo, and you've got Macedonia. And of course, I felt sorry for the players. Because of course, the Serbian and Croatian players were always the best. Mm. But some Macedonian players would have played for Yugoslavia, who's yeah, a good Panchev, team, Barkley Panchev. Panchev yeah. And all of a sudden, where you've got a chance of going to the World Cup and doing stuff, now you're playing for, Mac although Macedonia are a good team now. Yeah, but even if you go yeah. to Kosovo, so the breakup, and that is what really caused, made it easier for teams to actually do well in Europe, the countries. Because when you had USSR, you had Yugoslavia, where the breakup of the teams, the teams aren't as strong as they were, you know, so, uh, but, uh, but Yugoslavia were a, fan, were a fantastic team. Do you team. reckon if they had stayed together, didn't divorce, they could have won a Euros or a World Cup? I think they could have pushed for it because they always had good players, always had good players, always had good teams. And the interesting thing about it, because you look at Boban and, and, and you know, a lot of them who were Croatian, and it's so strange because two years earlier, they're playing with each other, they're friends, they're and when they play together, they're playing well. And then two years later, they're trying to kill each other on the pitch. I don't know if you remember that game when Croatia played yeah. Serbia. And it's like, these were your teammates two years ago, and all of a sudden, your mindset has changed overnight. Yeah, it was a very interesting time. I think that's, you know, you can reflect on psychology, oh, identity. That's and... the best way to describe it, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, people would be very partisan in terms of who's right and who's wrong, but call it interesting. Yeah, if you go into history and into politics mm. and the nature of it. All well, about... Tito's the one who actually brought them together. And, of course, that's maybe right. that was necessary at that particular time. Yeah. And things may have changed. But um, from a footballing perspective, Yugoslavia was never a country that was fragmented. Because, as I said, when we played against Yugoslavia in the past, and that Yugoslavia team with Dragon Jajic, I hope Jajic, I run out his name right, right in the 70s, they were very unified as a, as, a, as a football team. And then all of a sudden, just fragmented. Fragmentation. How was the atmosphere? Was the atmosphere good at the Actually, what well, we call oh, it yeah. Maracana as well. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because they're very passionate people. As you know, I can tell you're a passionate man yourself. Just like <laughs> you. Usually, usually. <laughs> usually. I've been a little bit westernized, yeah. but it's still in me. Ooh. It's definitely still in me. I want to go further back to, because obviously you grew up in Jamaica. Mm. In Jamaica, was that when you decided, like, you know what, I want to be a footballer? Or? No, 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 yeah. no, no. I grew up in Jamaica. I did, mm. My dad was sent as military attaché. He was a diplomat. Right. So I didn't know we were going to come to England when I was 13 years old. I'm growing up in Jamaica. Then my dad got sent to England as a diplomatic post for four years. So I knew I was coming to England for four years. When I'm 17, I'm going to go back to Jamaica or I got offered a football scholarship to Howard University. I'm going to go to University in America. There's no professional football. I do a degree. I may play football in America. But I always, my dad played football for Jamaica. I grew up playing football. I love football. So I always knew I would play football. But I didn't think I was going to stay in England. 
Then when I was 17, I was playing at Wembley, not Wembley Stadium, you know, the pitch behind Wembley where there's nobody watching, Sudbury Court. <laughs> and a, a taxi driver saw me playing, he recommended me to a scout, and this is six months before I'm going back. Watford then said, come and sign for us. And that's the first time I thought about being a professional footballer. I was on my way back to America. So you're playing football in a taxi driver? I'm playing football for Sudbury Court, yeah. Yeah, which is in the Middlesex League. And a taxi driver just happened to be watching the game because he's not in a stadium and he's watching the game and he thought he's a good player. So he knew a scout from Watford. So he said to the scout, come and have a look at him. So if that taxi driver didn't see that game, I would have been spotted. Now, what happens now in football is that if you're six, seven, eight, nine, any talent whatsoever, you're going to be in an academy. Yeah. You're not going to slip through the net. They're no good players. But back when I played, they had so many good players. I played for Stowe Boys Club on the Harrow Road. And there are lots of my friends lived in Kensal Green and Paddington who are equally as good as me, but they were never spotted, so they, they never made it. And if that taxi driver didn't stop, I would have gone back in six months to America and I would never have been spotted. That's, That's how it was back then. You had to be lucky to be spotted. Do you believe in fate? Absolutely. That's why I believe that you know, it was meant to be. That tax- because you know what could have happened? That taxi driver could have watched the game and I could have been a fantastic player, but I had a bad game. He would have just gone... No point coming to look at him. And That's it right. would have been different, no matter how good I was. Or I could have been a very bad player and have a, had a good game. And he recommended me. The other scout came and he says, you're not good enough. So whatever happens in life is meant to happen. So when you went to Watford, are you thinking, right, I'm close here, I'm, I'm going for it. Or you just didn't care, you just like... Well, no, no, no. Mm. But, but the thing is, and it's so funny, because when I went to Watford at 17, mm. and once again, you talk about fate. So I never played in a youth team, because I went as a first-year professional. You know, you right. have apprentices at 15, 16 who... I wasn't that. I went, my mum and dad went back to Jamaica they, because the, the, he had gone back before I even went to Watford, like two months I had to stay with some friends. So I've gone to Watford as a young player, first year professional, not a superstar, just a first year professional. First game of the season, I play in the reserves and they play on a Saturday at three o'clock. The reserves, when the first team played away at Newcastle, we played at home to Swindon, reserves. Luther Blissett gets sent off at Newcastle, first game of the season. So second game of the season, Luther's, Luther's not playing, so you put somebody else in, I'm on the bench. I came on for 10 minutes against Oldham. I don't think I did particularly, I did all right, 10 minutes. And I'm happy to be in the first team. I think I'm gonna go back to reserves for the third game of the season, Chelsea away. He doesn't put me on the bench, he puts me in the team, the first team. That's my third ever game in football. And I'm now in the first team playing at Chelsea. And then after that Chelsea game, I was never out of the team after that. And that's fate, you know what I mean? Luther got sent off. If he didn't get sent off, it would have been different. Were you in these moments were you anxious? Were you apprehensive? Or were you just going with the flow and, and enjoying your time? And you know, when, you're, when, you're, when you are a son of an army officer, and my dad's an army officer, <laughs> the most important thing is the discipline and the preparation. Mm-hmm. So since I was 12, 13 years old, we lived in, in fact, we moved to Mayfair, funnily enough, because it was a diplomatic post and we didn't mm-hmm. have much money, but a diplomatic post and they give you big houses. So we're in Mayfair, living in Mayfair. When you're living in Mayfair, and my dad, since I was 15 years old, he says, forget how good you are, your attitude, your commitment, your determination, your willingness to train. I used to run around Hyde Park every night at 14, 15. When my friends were growing up, I was, I was training hard. To show you how, how my dad has influenced me in that respect, growing up in Jamaica at 11, 12 years old, I played for the under-16s. I was always an attacking player, always. I come to England, home of football, played for Stowe Boys Club on the Harrow Road. Fantastic team. We won the National Five-A-Side Championships. We're winning, playing Regent's Park. They're winning 10, 12 in every, every, every week. Nobody wants to play in defence. You know what it's like when yeah. you know. So my dad said, you're going to play centre-back for this team. So for Stowe Boys Club, from the age of 12, when I first came, to 16, I played centre-back for four years. Now, I was never centre-back, but my dad said the responsibilities to the team, no one wants to play centre-back, so you play centre-back. So as I'm playing centre-back for Stowe Boys Club, I leave Stowe Boys Club because on the 16s is the oldest they get to. The coach at Stowe happens to coach Sudbury Court. So he takes two or three of the best boys from Stowe to Sudbury Court. Now, he's not going to put me at 16 in a centre-back in a big men's league, but he knows I'm not a centre-back. So he puts me on the left wing, which is where I play. And this is, so I've played four years centre-back, Sudbury Court, I played three months on the left wing, that's my position. That's where Watford see me and that's where they sign me. So the point I'm trying to make to you is that it's always about the responsibility to the team. So I'm not thinking about being a superstar, number nine people see me. And so therefore I was prepared. So when I went to Watford, they were surprised how fit I was, how committed I was, how humble I was for the team, because that is the way I was been brought up ever since I was a, 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 a ever since I was a, a young player. And to emphasise what my dad did in terms of your preparation was my sister swam competitively for Jamaica, and I used to swim at under eight, under nine, under ten, under eleven at a high standard in Jamaica. And he said you have to train every day. But some days I would stop to play football instead of going to training. And he said if you're not going to go to training every day, stop swimming, because he says whatever you do, you have to do it with full commitment. 
So forget about how good I was or I wasn't. It's because of the commitment that you actually put into it mm -hmm. that makes you the player you are. All of, all of this is going to my son mm. tonight. <laughs> no, serious. You have to mean it. Oh, yeah. You have you to have show to it. it. Yeah. And of course, times are different now because if I didn't do it, I know what would happen to me, mm. but I don't think your son's getting what I would have got because yeah, this is a different time. It's a different time. Uh, is there, and is there any player that you looked up to? Uh, you know, when you were young. Well, look, Luther was a Luther Blissett was the player who was mm. in the first team when I went there. But as I said, when I started playing, um, I have to I have to say this: when I first came to England, we lived in obviously we lived in Golders Green, Highgate. We lived in Mayfair. But when we lived in Golders Green and Highgate, we used to go to Arsenal. And my gr favorite player from this part of the world, I won't call him British because the Irish people won't like me. He's not from Northern Ireland. Was Liam Brady? Liam Brady was the best player I have, ever, apart from Maradona. He was incredible. Awesome. Incredible. Awesome. Liam Brady was fantastic. So I used to be on the North Bank now again, but we also went to Queen's Park Rangers when they had Jerry Francis, Frank McDinkock in the 70s, but Arsenal and QPR won the two teams. And the fee that Watford paid to Sudbury was kits. It wasn't, look, it's a nice story <laughs> because don't forget, you know, as time goes on and I'm playing for England, they said he cost a set of kit. When I went to when I went from Sudbury Court, I never signed a contract with Sudbury Court. There's no contracts. It's a, it's like playing for the local team. So Watford, you know, said, okay, we'll give you some kit. They didn't have to give them anything at all. So it was just a nice gesture, you know. So it's not as if you know, they, like, it's not as if kids. they, it's not as if they, they they robbed them because they took me and gave me a set of kit and they should have given them five hundred thousand pounds. They should have got nothing for me because I wasn't signed. I didn't sign for them. Um, so it was a nice gesture that Watford did. And did you have the perception of being a black boy in in the UK in London? Did you? <laughs> I'm sure you did, but. No, no, no. Well, once again, I've just written a book about it called the unconscious, the unconscious Truth About Racism because, as I said, my dad was a military attaché. He went to Sandhurst with Andrew Parker Bowles. That's Camilla's husband. He's an elite person Camilla. in Jamaica. Camilla's husband, Andrew Parker Bowles. Okay. And Andrew oh, Parker Bowles would come to our house yeah. when I came and we lived in Highgate and Mayfair. My mother's family started the first Jamaican government with Norman Manley and Alexander Bustamante. That's mm -hmm. Ken and Frank Hill. They broke away from the party because they thought that the party was going to be too elitist and not representative of black working class Jamaicans, they'd be representative of privileged elite black Jamaicans. So therefore, this is the environment that I was brought up in. Then when I came to England, I told her where I lived, we had a chauffeur. So therefore, you have to look at the nuances around class and privilege as well as race. Because I didn't emigrate to, to, to England um, and been disenfranchised in England and struggled in England and seen what other my friends who were black and working class because that's what football is because in fact in Jamaica I played in Trenchtown and Arnett Gardens football which are when you talk about rough areas if you know about Kingston rough areas because football is a working class sport and while I played there and these were my friends because I played with them none of them were coming to my house and my parents didn't know their parents so you have to look at the class structure as well so it's not just about race so when I came to England I completely empathized with my black friends who were completely working class living in council houses but that wasn't my experience a growing up in Jamaica then B, coming to England, then C, 17 years old playing football. 17 years old playing football, I'm now a privileged person. So yes, there's racist abuse, national front, but what I always felt back then, and I feel that to this day, is that I tell you the people who should, we should speak for, not the privileged black people. Because when I was 19 and we were playing against Arsenal, and of course, I'm not saying it's Arsenal fans, because Watford fans are always like, that's the way it was. Mm -hmm. And we're going up the Holloway Road, as you know what, the A1, to Watford. So we're going up the Holloway Road, six o'clock on a Saturday, on the coach, Lots of fans, and there are Arsenal fans who played against Arsenal, and they're abusing Luther and I on the bus, throwing stuff, but I'm having a nice fillet steak. I've got a nice glass of wine. I feel completely secure. Yeah? And I looked out of the bus, and I saw all of these fans, and interspersed amongst them, I saw average black people hiding in corners and cowering in shops because they were scared for their lives. And who says how terrible it is for them? Rather than saying how terrible it is for me. And that's what happens to this day when we talk about our turbulences for black players getting racially abused. But what about football fans who go to matches and people living in the inner cities and can't get jobs and houses and access to social care? No one's speaking for them. And I suppose from my family's background in Jamaica, when an elite light-skinned grand grandfather and his brother, when Jamaica became independent and they started to have the government, they broke away because they said, this is not going to be representative of work, work, working class people, black working class people. It's going to be an elite organization. And that is what we still have here. So what are we asking for now? We're asking for Idris Elba to get more Oscars and John Barnes to get jobs. But what about the people who need it most in the inner cities? We're neglecting them. And so therefore, I've always, I've always felt that. And that's what I've always said about how, yes, it's bad that, you know, black managers and whatever goes on. But it's wider. It's wider and much more important down 
to create an environment down below for people to climb up the ladder themselves, not to put someone above and pull mm. them up. Because if you, think the, if you think that the solution to the problem is representation at the highest level, well, I mean, I've got a Rishi Sunak, haven't we? And we have Kwasi Kwarteng. There's a black man there. Is that helping anything? Is that helping black people? Then we had Theresa May. Is that helping women? We had Cressida, the chief of police, female. Is that helping women? You can't change that system. So we have to stop thinking about putting more disenfranchised groups of people, be they black women, getting to these positions and thinking things will change down below. We have to create an environment down below for people to help themselves because that's never going to work. What I differentiated between <coughs> is ra racist incidents and racism. Mm. The average black person in the inner city goes through racism every day of their lives in houses they live in, the jobs they have, the way they're treated every day. Black celebrities, if you like, or even black footballers, they, they suffer racist incidents, which means that a banana may come on the field and get racial abuse on Twitter. But then for the other six days of the week, we can go to Downing Street, we can go to the best restaurants, we can live our lives, and we're not going to get abused. We're not going to get abused. So racism and racist incidents, I separate. Now, both of them are wrong, but which one is more important to stamp out? And unfortunately, we are overwhelmingly, because we want to make scapegoats of people who are inconsequential to, to systemic bias, because a 12-year-old fan throwing a banana on the field is not the reason why there's a lack of empathy for black kids stabbing each other in the inner cities. He's not the problem. He's not the problem. And as Martin Luther King said in 1964, he said it is a shallow understanding of racial bias by good people that's a problem, which is mean all of us. The shallow understanding of racial bias. What he means by that is that we assume that we're not racist or sexist or homophobic because we'll never racially abuse anybody or we'll never physically abuse a woman. So we're not racist or sexist or homophobic. So he says the shallow understanding of racial bias by good people is a problem, not the total misunderstanding by bad people meaning the bad people are the pointy-head Ku Klux Klan members and the football fans who racially abuse somebody. And we say, they are the problem, so let's get rid of them and everything will be okay. That's not the problem. The unforgettable one next, another stone-cold classic. Brazil, 1984. The iconic yellow, blue collars, blue cuffs, the Brazil badge with CBF underneath. It is the Brazil shirt. Forget what year, because that yellow shirt... Epic. Is it, is it's it's a sow. And when you talk about, you look what's happening now with Bolsonaro and, and, and using that shirt as a political symbol to garner support, that is how powerful that shirt is. Both parties are using it to garner support. Mm. So my, my first, once they turned it into color, because of course you can turn old films into color, was 1958 with Pele, you know. And they, football kids have changed when they messed around with the shirt. With, with lots of shirts, England, everybody, but that Brazil shirt, they just want to keep it classic, the yellow Brazil shirt. So as much as it was the 1982 World Cup, actually, when you had Falcao and you had Socrates and Junior, that was the probably best Brazil team not to have won the World Cup. You know, they lost it in the final when Paulo Rossi scored a hat-trick. But that just evokes history when you talk about a kit. That West Germany kit was, 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 that I loved was particular to that period of time, 74 when they won the World Cup. And I, I, I was around at that time and I was young. But that Brazil kit throughout history, ever since the 50s, even to now, when you see Brazil play and you see them go out there in that yellow. Because of course, most kids now when you go out, you don't really know, I mean, we know it's England, we know it's Italy or whatever, but a lot of different teams playing that kind of a kit, but that yellow from Brazil is just, you know, just so iconic. It's true, because it, it seems like it hasn't changed from, like, you know, up to about, like 2002 and... Yeah, um, you've had like, a few badge changes. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. badge here, it's got obviously CBF, the, yeah. the association uh, initials. But then you've got, you've got the old Jules, I think it's the Jules Rimei trophy, trophy in the badge. So they actually, so they won it three times, at, at the, three times at this point. Mm -hmm. And they've got the trophy in the badge. I've never seen that before. Hmm. Where the country's gone, we've won it the most times. <laughs> Is it, yeah. Let's put the trophy <laughs> in the badge. And, and here's the thing about Brazil. And they went through a phase, and they probably still are going through that phase, which is sad, because the most important thing for all of the Brazilian players was to play for the Celestial, play for Brazil. Mm. Whereas for a lot of countries, it's more important to play for your club than your country. Whereas for Brazil, it always was. It kind of changed when loads of money came into football and probably 10, 15 years ago, they were playing in Europe and then a lot of Brazilian players wouldn't go and play. Because, like, if you look at a lot of teams, when they play against the big countries, they go and play. But if, if the big countries are playing against smaller countries, the big players don't go and play. Whereas Brazil, the Brazilian players who started to come to you, the Zico and the Socrates, even they're playing for Udinese and they're playing for the big clubs, they said, when Brazil play a friendly and out of Mongolia, we are going. Yeah, because that's how much it meant to play for Brazil. 
They went through a stage where, where a lot of the younger players, probably in the 90s, 2000s, really lots of Brazilians came over, didn't. But it's getting back to the stage now where they're having that respect for, for Brazil. What is it about Brazil, though, when, you, when we look back and we go from the Pelés, the Zicos, Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, what is... Like, what it's is the fantasy, isn't it, of how football, we believe football should be played. Mm. And that is why when you talk about good versus evil, and, you talk about, and that is the thing, you see, because success is the most important thing. And that 82 Cup final brought it on to everybody. Because Brazil were an absolutely unbelievable team in terms of their flair, their skill. And Italy were just a typical Catenaccio strong, and Italy won. And that's when it came on, and Brazil were saying we were raw because we were playing beautiful football and they were fantastic. And that's when it said, well, hang on a second, let's get the balance right, rather than just talking about playing pretty football. But I suppose if you have a romantic idea, and a romant romanticise the way football should be played, Come on, Ronaldinho and people like that is just incredible. It keeps going, keeps going. Yeah, it's, it's like a I don't know if, if you've been to Brazil, but I, I managed to go there for the World Cup 20, 2014. Mm -hmm. yeah. I played football on the beach, and I said to myself, this is different. Like, they're, they're growing up different. It's a different energy. See, first of all, when I met him, now it seems a long while ago, and he said about, well, the Brazilians weren't really trying. And now all of a sudden he's asked me if I've ever played in Brazil. <laughs> Get that video up of that goal for me, for God's no, sake. Have I ever played in Brazil? No, I, meant, oh, I mean, I've come all the way down from Liverpool. Have I ever played in Brazil? Did you not see my goal in America? There we go. <laughs> Have I ever played in Brazil? There we Sorry, go. it's a trick question. Because there that's we what we've go. got on the script. It's a trick question because on the script we were going to say... Yeah. The goal you have obviously scored oh, against no. Brazil. I know, which yeah. we, I know. I'm only teasing you. I'm only teasing you. <laughs> I, I, I was getting, uh, telling off by John Barnes there. I was like, yo, oh, I'll take it. Yo, I yeah, take it. Of, yeah, yeah. John Barnes told me. Of First of all, the Brazilians weren't trying. That's why he scored yeah. that goal right now. <laughs> you ever played in Brazil? <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I mean, the goal you scored, which we spoke about earlier. Um, let's go back to the goal when you played in Brazil. Mm. And uh, what was that? What was that feeling like for you? No, but you know what? Um, I remember every free kick I've scored because when you score a free kick, you are consciously thinking about what you want to do. You put the ball down and you consciously think, I want to come up to the ball, I want to bend it over the wall, into the top corner. So when you do it, because you consciously thought about what you wanted to do, you remember it. When you score a goal by dribbling, you're just reacting to people in front of you. So you're not consciously thinking about what you're doing. So it's like having an out-of-body experience. I do not remember doing any of it. When I see it on television and whatever I was doing, I cannot remember it at all because all... If I'm gonna dribble against you, I can't consciously think I wanna do that because if you go there, I've gotta do something else. I've gotta go the other way. So all you're doing is reacting in front of you. So consequently, when you've done it, you don't remember doing it. So I do not remember, even when I watch it, I don't remember the feeling of what I was doing. That, don't that, remember that, that actually makes sense because when you see like left-footed wingers now, they'll dribble down the wing. Mm. Mm. You're coming inside. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, I, I still, even now you don't see Wingers, obviously, obviously, you've got inside forwards. Yeah, I would normally, I would, normally I would have normally have gone down. But you know what? And here's the thing: you watch it again, mm. and you know what? Who made the goal? Tony Woodcock, centre forward for Arsenal. Because as I came inside, I can't believe you're taking the glory for that. It's funny we talk about Arsenal. Arsenal win something, the fans think it's them. Yeah, that's because Tony Tony Woodcock doesn't even know you. So don't pretend it's you. That's why Tony Woodcock. <laughs> Tony Woodcock, do you know me? Come on, Let Tony. Me know the comments. But what happened was, <laughs> what happened was, as I came inside for the first time, mm. I was about to shoot. So if you watch it, you'll see me go to shoot. I've lifted my leg back to shoot, and Tony Woodcock runs across. Uh, and if oh. I shoot, I'll hit him because he runs across. So he jumps up like that, thinking <laughs> he's going to shoot. I think I'm going to shoot. And because if I shoot, I then have to chop the ball inside. I wouldn't have done that. I would have shot because he's in the way. And if I've chopped the ball inside, I've looked around, and there's the Brazilian just on the floor. So I'm trying to say I never really meant it. <laughs> no, okay. So you go to the bottom of it. Yeah, you I never really meant mean it, it. Yeah. No, but if Tony Woodcock didn't go around, I 100% would have shot. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm raising my leg back to shoot. And as I'm about to shoot, I see him. So I've got to come inside. But I, I would not have done that if he wasn't there. I, I was more creator. As much as you see mm. the goals I've scored. But I much prefer to... And that is where when you talk about footballers, when you have a, a goal scorer who Erling Haaland... He doesn't care if he touches the ball five times in a game, it's he true. scores one goal. For <laughs> me, true. I couldn't do that. I would have to have a lot of touches and look good and play well and maybe create a goal. But if I play well and I don't score, I'm happy. Whereas goal scorers want to score. So therefore, I get more pleasure out of creating than scoring. Whereas proper goal scorers, Ian Rush, Robbie Fowler, Gary Lineker, Harlan, they don't care if they don't touch the ball as long as they score. But I'm not like that at all. That's how, that's how I play football now. If I need, that ball needs to be touching me. Yeah. If, if, it's, if it's not touching me after five minutes. Yeah, you're a pretty you wanna, player. Yeah. You want to be cuddling player. the ball. You want to be spooning it. Yeah, Netflix yeah. and chill. Yeah. Yeah. You know you're, I mean? you're a pretty player, as we call I, it. Yeah. I, I can play. But it's something nice tell. about an assist. Mm. And then you have some players who just want to defend. 
That's yeah. how we're so different. Are, Some people want to defend and get hit in the face with the ball, and they don't care if they score. And you know, but that's that's for me. That's like you're crazy. I well, mean, if you're, you know. if you're somebody that's willing to block a shot of your face, yeah, yeah, like, like wow. But they need it. They're in, you need them, don't you? It's true. You need them. Remember, Terry Village. The... Remember um, Phil Jones when he tackled my friend. My friend PK. He, he plays. He's playing like a decent level. Hashtag United. He's he's done a slide tackle. I saw that over his head. Yeah, his head. Well, a lot. Yeah, because a lot of people may fall over. That's the thing. Because if I fell over. Whatever, tripping, and you're going through to shoot. And as I'm falling over, you're going to shoot. I'm moving my head out of the way. Well, Whereas some people want to put their head in the way to stop the ball. Yeah, and I'm wearing glasses, Bobby. No. No, <laughs> <wait, you know. laughs> yeah. I mean, if they break, I can't yeah. even go and go off. You don't play any glasses, do you? <laughs> I do. Do you really? Yeah, you don't play in contacts? My, my eyesight's very No, but can't they play in contacts? Um, no. You can, but you can wear the swimming glasses, Speedo's one. Yeah, I wear, I've, I've got the, um, oh, like the Davids. The Haunted One is Arsenal's 1989 away kit, the yellow one. On first viewing, you think it's just yellow, but there's lots of detail in here. Faint pinstripes, faint gunners, cannons, all over the front of the shirt. What you can see, clearly, is the iconic JVC in blue, Jivka. Red trim around it, you've got the Adidas badge, and then the black gunners cannon with AFC just below. Then you've got red, yellow, and blue all over the shoulders, into the sleeves, around the collar with the Adidas stripes down the shoulder into the sleeves. Visualize Michael Thomas winning the league for Arsenal in the last game of the season. It could have been Wimbledon when we lost to Wimbledon in the cup final, but it's not Wimbledon because that can happen in a, in a, in a match. Mm. Yeah, cup finals you can play well, and women were in the top division. Then they finished seventh or eighth. So it's not as if like they were a bad team, and it was just a bad performance. Yeah, but if you could go back and play a game, it wouldn't be the women's game; it would be that game. Because I think if we needed to have won the game to win the league, we would have done it. If we needed to have drawn the game, even if we could have lost one nil, but to, to, to be to be able to lose one nil and still win the league. We just approached that game in a completely no, we, different way. We were a very attacking team all the time, but we knew we could even lose 1-0 and, and then we were losing 1-0 then it's 2-0. So that's the one game that I think we would play differently if we went back. Just for, just for the audience, especially the young ones that are watching, like, just set the tone. Yeah, set the tone. Explain, because this is like one of the best moments ever in English football. But it's an interesting thing because mm. that was the year Hillsborough. Yeah? Right. So we played at Hillsborough mm -hmm. in the FA Cup semi-final. And of course, he had the disaster. So we did not play for about a month. So what happened was Arsenal went above us in the league because we hadn't played. So we had all these games to catch up. Now, even thinking back at the time, we didn't think about it because we were just so happy to be playing against. We then had to play around five games in two weeks to catch up before the last game of the season against Arsenal. And we won, we won, we won. And the game before the Arsenal game, the game before the Arsenal game, we won 5-0, which meant that our goal difference went above Arsenal's. Mm. Which then meant that even if we lost, we had a better goal difference against Arsenal. So I think if Arsenal had a better goal difference than us, because we only won 1-0, that game could have been different. But we were into such a comfort zone of then saying, we're now got a better goal difference than Arsenal, we can lose 2-0. But what we didn't take into consideration was the fact that when you go through, and as much as I've always said that we didn't suffer as much as the, the people who lost their loved ones. You know what I mean? You talk about people who are dying and people who lost their loved ones. And of course, there's a lot of sympathy towards us. And I always felt that don't feel sympathetic towards me. I didn't lose any loved ones, so I'm going to help support the people who lost their loved ones. But it had a toll on a lot of the players, Hillsborough. But because we we're happy to be playing, we didn't even think about the disaster. We didn't think about playing five games in two weeks. All of a sudden, here we are, we got Everton in the cup final. And then the Arsenal game was just a game too far. It's only in retrospect when we look back and we thought that was a traumatic time as much as we didn't we weren't showing it because all the games were winning apart from the Arsenal game but thinking back it, it was a lot to ask for us to make up all those games and then play Everton in the cup final after so congratulations to you it's almost like a subconscious <laughs> unconscious absolutely unconscious and then afterwards you realize absolutely you realize what you've been through emotions yeah. were actually absolutely yeah probably yeah. bubbling underneath but yeah I mean, we should never have lost 2 nil at home anyway, but you know, that's my excuse. <laughs> for, for the young ones, it's mm. Arsenal Liverpool first against second, last day of the season. I'm sorry to interrupt you because people talk about last 
game finishes, and you remember Man City against um, QPR 1-2 That's now. That's what we're going to bring up. Yeah. But nothing will ever beat this. Yeah. Nothing will ever beat this. Why nothing will beat this? Because Man City had to be QPR, Man United are playing whatever they're playing, blah, blah, blah. When you have the two teams involved playing against each other, and the goal difference is going to be exactly the same, if you lose 1-0, then we win by one goal, that would never happen again. Never. And so nothing you, can be as, as, as emotive as that. You'd argue, then, from your perspective, that that game in 89 is bigger than Aguero. Absolutely. Fate will never conspire for that to ever happen again. It was just, it was just incredible. A moment in that game, obviously, just before the goal. Yeah, this is not my fault. Take the ball in the corner. <laughs> I knew you were going to start. Sorry to bring it up. No, but I'm glad he did. So we can put this to bed. We can put this to bed. Oh, I, I wasn't even aware of it. I'm, just, I'm, not saying, I'm sitting no, back. I'm just chilling. No, no, let me put this to bed. I'm just chilling. to bed because, you know, I've been imparting my wisdom on you for the last hour. Last let, me, let, me, let me finish it. Let me last week, I was at a, um, it was a screening, a talk. It was about black Arsenal, Arsenal and the relationship with race in the community. And one of the gentlemen brought up you as being one of the heroes, of course. And, but he brings up an image. I didn't even know. Obviously, he's brought up you kicking off the banana against mm. Everton. Obviously, I've seen that image. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what's interesting in that game, obviously, you've got Thomas who scores. Mm. He's a black player. You've got you also in a key moment, though. It shows the image. I didn't even, honestly, I never knew that. I only found out last week mm -hmm. was that you lost, lost the ball before the goal mm -hmm. on the other end. On the right-hand side. On the right-hand side. So, this is what I want to talk about. So, do you remember when Steven Gerrard slipped? Of course. Yep, I and they said, that's why we lost the league. That's not why we lost the league. Because don't forget, we've had 38 games to play. And there are games we lost when we should have won. Because, you know what football fans say? We should have won the league because they'll say, remember we dropped our point there, we dropped our point there, we dropped our point there. So that's three points and we would have won the league. What they never say is, we were lucky to have picked up a point there. We were lucky to have picked up a point there. Yeah? So there's no one incident that makes you lose the league. No one incident. Because you've got lots of games where you should have won, you should have lost, and different things happen. So I'm taking the ball in the corner as I'm coming across. And Tony Adams comes across. And I'm playing on the left, but now I'm running across to the right. And Tony Adams comes across. And once again, you talk about fate. Tony Adams comes across. And what Tony Adams would normally do in his um, post-Arsene Wenger days, because don't forget, this is pre-Arsene Wenger. You know, there are two different Tony Adamses, as you well know. This is not the Tony Adams who was playing <laughs> on the Wenger, so it's a different Tony. <laughs> and as he comes across, he would, he would they call it jockeying. If you're going yeah. to mark somebody, rather than diving in, you jockey him. And yeah. if he jockeyed me, he would have just, I would have run into the corner. But he slides in to try and tackle me. So now he slides into tackling and I've gone past him. I thought, well, why am I going to the corner? Tony's not there. There's one player. And if I beat this one player, I'm going to score. Kevin Richardson. I played with Kevin at Watford. So try to take Kevin Richardson on. He took the ball from me and plays it back to John Lukic. Who can now pick the ball up? Because back those times you could. Oh, my oh, God. So there John was Lukic. So listen, yeah? So John Lukic picks the ball up. So who scored the goal? Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas. Where's he playing? Midfield. Who's playing against him? Steve McMahon. So what happens is, because I'm out of position, John Lukic throws the ball to Lee Dixon. Steve McMahon, instead of staying with Michael Thomas, because I'm not there, leaves Michael Thomas to try and stop Lee Dixon playing the ball down to Alan Smith. So if he doesn't do that, he stays with him. So I'm saying, why don't people blame him for not Mar for, 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 for Steve McMahon, it's your Steve turn. Steve McMahon, is your fault. You should have stayed with the man. <laughs> the point I'm making, so here's the point I'm making. And secondly, this is, the, this is another thing. Secondly, who passed the ball to me? Now... No one knows. It could have been Ronnie Wheeler. So why don't they blame him for passing to me? Because if he didn't pass to me, I wouldn't have had to take in the corner, would I? You should have done something else. So when things happen, how far do you want to go back to then say, yeah. if I'd have done that? Now, what would happen is that if I lost the ball, and as soon as I've lost the ball, they've scored. You can say that's your fault. But I've lost the ball up in their half where the goalkeeper has it. You know what it's like? It's like when Gerard Houllier called David Ginola an enemy of the country. Because David Ginola, when France didn't qualify for the World Cup, they lost 3-2 to Bulgaria at home, and Bulgaria scored in the last minute. And I heard about that, and I thought, David Ginola must have, like, been dribbling in the box, and he lost it. You know what he done? He went down the line, and he crossed the ball. The goalkeeper came out and caught it, very much like he should have taken it in the corner, but if the goalkeeper catches it, and 20 seconds later they score, I'm going to blame David Ginola for that. Mm. So the point I'm trying to make is, get off my back, will you, and stop blaming me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Steve, I've convinced anyone. St Steve McMahon. Steve McMahon. Steve yeah, McMahon. Tweet about him. He's the problem. He's the problem, man. Yeah. I like this. You know, at Liverpool, you became a legend. But it could have been so different because uh, Fergie admitted. No, couldn't have been different. Couldn't have been different. It's meant to be. But no, not just oh. meant to be. It was meant to be, but it wouldn't have, it, it, 
it, it wouldn't have gone any other way. Because of course, for young people, they would look at Fergie, Man United, and think about Fergie and Man United. Mm -hmm. 1987, two best teams in the country were Everton and Liverpool. Won the league four times, Liverpool, Everton won it twice. Arsenal won it once. Manchester United weren't the team they were. Whoa. So in 1987, Man United were finishing. You know that many fans, yeah? Of course you know that. 1987. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget, Fergus was at Man United for four or five years before they won anything. Yeah. So in 1987, Liverpool, Liverpool didn't double in 1986. Mm -hmm. So if 1987 Liverpool come to sign me and Man United come to sign me, where do you think I'm going to go? Now, of course, when the year 2000 came along or 1996 when Man United took over, if you're a big player and Liverpool come, then maybe you'll go to Man United. But in 87, even if Man United came in, I wouldn't have gone. Not that I don't like Man United. It's just that you go to the, the best team that you can go to. So, so Ferguson has a cheek to say that he regretted it. Like, well, it's not, it's not, it's not even a question of regretting it because you could not have got me. So you can't regret what you're not in control of. And so even if you had come in for me, I would not have gone there, but, which is obvious. It's not anything against Fergie or Man United because if you want to play at the highest level and play for the best team, mm -hmm. you're gonna, that's where you'll go. And of course, as I said, when Man United took over in like 94, 95, any player, if Liverpool or Man United came in and you're a big player, you're going to go to Man United and you're going to go to Fergie. But at that time, you wouldn't have gone to very much like Arsenal. You know, people talk about me wanting to say in London and Arsenal and you should support, go and watch Arsenal play, but I wouldn't have gone to Arsenal then. Was there a link? Whereas, of course, was there, there was always this link between me and Watford and Arsenal okay. because, of course, they're both okay. Londonish okay. clubs. But, of course, then when Wenger came, you know, not for me, but for anybody, when Wenger came, you would go to Arsenal before Liverpool when Wenger was there in the early days. So, so it's not any slight against Fergie or Man United, but that wouldn't even be a, a, a possibility for me to go there at that time. If we revert back to, to that time, so when, when, that, I feel like if, looking at like an emotional toll on a team or individuals, you've mm. got Hillsborough, you lose the league in the most dramatic fashion. In the cup final the next week. And then week. you win the FA Cup against Everton. Biggest lesson I learned in football. Rudyard Kipling talks about the way he treated triumph and disaster. He made a poem about it. Triumph and disaster. Won the league the first year. Came in, expected this huge party. All running around the coach said, yeah, the winner's medals in a plastic bag. We didn't have a presentation on the pitch or anything like that. Winner's medals on a plastic bag. He puts them down and he said, pre-season training July the 7th. We never got carried away with it. Because you work hard to do something, you're successful. What's the next thing? You've got to do it again. So how do you keep that hunger to do it again? Is when you've done it, put it to the side. If we think how great we are with the league champions and the season starts, we're the league champions. We forget we've got to win matches. Now, that's an easy attitude to have when you're winning. What about when you're losing? The next year, what happened? We lost against Arsenal. We came in, and how devastated are we going to be? Running around had the losers' medals in the bag, and he said preseason training July the 7th. We didn't wallow in self pity and despair, or it wouldn't have raised ourselves to win the league like we did the next year. Because when you talk about success, it has to be the repetition of success year in, year out. You can't just win something and think that's it, or lose something and think that's it. Because if you say, What's your ambition? and your ambition is to win the World Cup, Pele won it when he was 17. What does he then do? Retire? Because he's won the World Cup? No, it has to be, I have to do it again and again. And how do you keep that hunger to do it again? When you've done it, forget about it, because that can't help you. So, as you say, how do we then raise ourselves now after losing to Arsenal to beat Everton in the Cup Final to go on and play? Because as soon as it was finished, we forgot about it. And is we that, said, is that, raise that, ourselves. Is that Liverpool now, in a way? Well, it was for the last four years. Obviously, this is mm. not going as well, because, of course, this is a transitional period for Liverpool. Because if you look at Liverpool in the last four years, mm. what age and experience did our players have? 28, 29, 30, 31. Great experience. Now, all of a sudden, they're now 30, 31, all of them, so you got rid of some. Now, what's the team? Nunes, 22. Diaz, 22. Harvey Elliott, 19. Carvalho, great potential. But with youth, you have inexperience. And that's where you go up and down. Arsenal last year, lots of young players. Look how inexperienced they were. Look how inconsistent they were. Look at them this year. So it's a transitional period for Liverpool, but that is where we need a little bit more experience. And the named one. It's one of the all-time greats in another amazing shirt. Argentina, 1986, and Maradona. All you have to do is picture that image of him leaping with arm outstretched above his head, chest pumped, nudging the ball over Peter Shilton, and that's the shirt. We should call this like the, this one like the, the John, the John Barnes, the John Barnes trophy shirt. Yeah, because. <laughs> I know the next guest after you is going to pick you. Maybe, or we retire John Barnes. Like, you're not allowed to pick John Barnes. You can't anymore. pick him if they yeah. try to pick him. Because they picked him like 10 times. Yeah. Well, my son sold me on FIFA four times. <laughs> my own son. Can't believe my I'm going to live on your son. He said he sold me. 
I think he swapped me for some. I, I won't even tell you who swapped me for. But anyway, I'll tell us, tell us, tell us. I can't even tell you. Was it was was, was it David Vita? No, because oh. of course I don't want to insult any oh, player. Okay, you know okay. I mean? But he's rubbish. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the who. I'll tell you after. <laughs> well, this kit is the named one. It's the one shirt and the player you'd have on the back of the shirt, and it's the Maradona Argentina 1986 kit. Hmm. Um, I didn't even know this. You played in this game. Hmm. I came on. You came on, but... 15 minutes ago, <laughs> came on. Excuse me. But look, but look, as a sub, but look, when I'm sitting on the side, Maradona's my favourite player of all time. I love him. I love him. When you watch him play and he's playing in modern, people are trying to kick him and they're fighting him and he's strong and you can't foul him and, he's, and he was just incredible, incredible. And, you know, when you talk about this... Messi and Ronaldo were very similar in terms of them being better than everybody else um, for a long period of time. But they had some good players back then. Malcolm Lambaston, Michelle Platini, Gullit, you know, all those players. But when you talk about the second best player being nowhere near Maradona, it shows how special he was. He was he just, just an like incredible himself. footballer. He was an incredible footballer. So I'm watching the game and it took every ounce of strength within me. Not the hand of God. When he scored that goal from the halfway line, how can you not appreciate that? Yeah, but that's, that's, that's true. I've got my England kit on the bench. And inside me, I felt a clap. I wanted to jump up and go. What a goal. Honestly, how can you not appreciate that goal? I'm supposed, I'm, listen, England fans, don't, don't hold it against me. But honestly, how can anyone not appreciate it's that goal? Clipped. It so was hold on, incredible. Because this is, this is insane to me, the fact that you, you, you've witnessed you know, these games, and this game especially. So he scores with his hand and then dribbles past everyone from the halfway line. Like, is, this, is, this doesn't sound real. And you know what? I haven't got an issue with him scoring with his hand. Why? Karen Inlick has tried to do it. He never do it. Michael Inlick, we've all tried to do it, but we're not good at it. My issues with the referee for not seeing it. <coughs> Excuse me a second. Um, Arsenal. Thierry Henry for France against Ireland. Oh, that was oh, bad. That yeah? was bad. I, I, yeah? I didn't like Henry after that, by the way. You didn't like him after that? After that, yeah. Yeah, yeah even when he played Suarez. France, you didn't like him after that. <laughs> Come on, I don't know who you're trying to kid. You love Thierry. So stop talking rubbish. I think it's a part so, of football. You've got no, score exactly. your hands, so man. the point I'm making is it's that... Humble. What I'm saying is that, yeah, so it should be given, but if it's not given, like, for example, in fact, in fact, I still want VAR for the 1989. Because the first goal Arsenal scored when a freaky came in. Oh, I don't think did, Alan Smith got a touch this. on it. We did it. Alan Smith never got a touch. Indirect free kick. You thought he got a touch? Uh, now, if Alan Smith didn't get a touch and the goal was given, would you not support Arsenal anymore and say you were, you were robbed? You, you can't, do that, you can't you? take that. You're taking the, 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 Premier, the Premier League away from Arsenal now. You can't do that, John. No, but I'm talking about if he never got a touch, you would have still taken it, wouldn't you? Of course. So if Maradona hands. Yeah, but so I'm going to issue with that. He's, what is this? It doesn't matter if it's your hand. If he never touched it, he never touched it. So why is the goal given and you say it should be given? Well, the point I'm making is that the referee should have spotted it. My issue is with the referee. But if we go back to So, the... so, this is the point I'm making. So Maradona scores that goal. And then when he scores that second goal, and it was just incredible. And why that shirt with Maradona, if you had to put a name on it, is that after the game, because as you know, um, back then, 1986, we had Bobby Robson, we had Peter Shilton, we had... Um, Terry Butcher, you know, the whole British bulldog mentality, British bulldog spirit, Jesus. lover of empire. We love what we do. We don't like cheats. We've been cheated. So straight after the game, cheating Argentinians, we're not swapping shirts. So we walk off the pitch and I'm like, no, we're not swapping shirts. Come on, they cheated us. Not swapping shirts. So of course, never swap shirts. So hang on, hang on. Never swap if shirts. You, so I'm watching the game. I'm watching the game in 2002. You know what I'm going to say? I'm watching the game in 2002. And I'm just thinking about the game and thinking about, we're not swapping shirts. We all stormed off. You see a storm off the pitch. You see all the Argentinian fans come on the pitch. You see them Maradona on their shoulders. And I'm just watching the game in 2002 thinking, yeah, what a great game that was. I remember it. Oh, you know, you see us walk off in disgust. We all walked off. And as I'm watching the game, five minutes, Argentinian fans are on the pitch. Thousands. All of a sudden, you see Steve Hodge fight through Argentinian fans like that. He, was on, he played for England. He had his kit on and he's put on Maradona's sock. And Maradona's looked down at him and he's got his England kit on him. Hodge goes. And Maradona goes, takes his shirt off, takes Hodge's shirt, England shirt on, gives him his shirt. Hodge's coming to the dressing room. Put Maradona's shirt on that no one knows he's got Maradona's shirt. And then six months ago, he got seven million pounds for it. That is a long-term investment. <laughs> so, seven million hold on, hold pounds. On. This is what I'm trying to work out, though. Okay, that should have been my shirt. You said seven months ago. So it was in 2022. You sold the shirt. Yeah. That ROI right. is so crazy. Well, what was the shirt doing <laughs> from '86? <laughs> 
Well, first 22. of all, well, from 86, it probably hid till about 1990. Mm. And once it dust settled... Did he tell no he come, one? No, no one knew. No one's supposed to swap shirts. We can't swap shirts. We so got this cheating. man kept this secret for how many years? No, 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 no. We, we then found out. We, found we out. heard a rumour that Hodgie's got his shirt. Come on, we heard a rumour. And then, of course, four years later, it's in Sotheby's. So, so, so of course, Hodgie got married on a shirt, blah, blah, blah. And then when Diego died... But it, so, uh, he didn't get the seven million because Sotheby's took, I think, fifteen percent, so he got five point four million. Oh, oh, that's, that's all right. One second, one second. Obviously, I'm being facetious. Oh. Obviously. Oh. <laughs> so I'm saying he never got seven, got five point four. How yeah, unlucky was he? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that, that should have been my shirt. That's football shirt, Bitcoin. That should have been my shirt. But that, imagine in his head the focus he that's had. Crazy. I'm telling you, he foresight. The, he said, "This is a big moment." So everybody's, he's not in his emotion. He's a man of logic. No, I'm, I'm a businessman. So, uh, okay, cool. I'm going to stop my business. So that right shirt. On top of that, hey, listen, story. forget about the seven million. It's Diego shirt. Yeah, I love yeah, yeah, Diego. Yeah, that's, why, that's why that is the last right, shirt. Okay. But look at, I mean, the shirt itself, you go into the aesthetic of it. Light blue, Lecoq Sportif. And not only that, when you talk about iconic shirts, oh, man. Argentina light blue and white stripe. Yeah. Yeah? I don't like the... Ones now where it's all light blue and maybe a little thing there. That light blue and thick blue and thick white stripes, very similar to the Brazil. You see Argentina and Brazil, those two are just like. Did you ever, I mean, this is a question you've probably been asked before, think you would have played for Jamaica maybe if they call, called you up? Was there ever that well, question? In no, your because head? it's interesting. My dad played football for Jamaica. He was a colonel in the army, so he wasn't a professional. He managed to make a national team, played football for Jamaica. I grew up knowing a lot of the Jamaica, Alan Cole, the older Jamaican players, played at a high level in Jamaica. But it wasn't even a question back then. You know, when Jamaica qualified in 98 for the World Cup and then it became a thing whereby you could play for England or Jamaica. But back yeah. then, even Jamaica didn't go, oh, why don't you play for us instead? Because they didn't know, they didn't know about me because I'm here in England and my dad's a military attaché. All of a sudden I'm playing for Watford. Then I'm playing for England before they even really knew me. Because don't forget, you didn't see lots of football in Jamaica of English football. You know what I mean? So it wasn't, and in fact, I could have played for Scotland, Northern Ireland, or Wales as well. Oh, oh. because yeah. I became a British citizen. So, yeah. In fact, I didn't become a British citizen. I played for England. This is how football was back then. When you talk about, and it was a professional sport, and it's a big sport. Mm -hmm. I had a Jamaican passport for the first year of playing for England. I never had an English passport. Whoa. And when we went to Yugoslavia and Russia, and I'm with England, and of course we flew on a normal plane as well. We didn't fly private. We flew on normal plane in economy with normal people. We had a suit on. Then we had to go into the queue with obviously everybody else, but I went into a different queue because I had a Jamaican passport. So the players will go through one queue, get on the coach waiting for me, because I have to go to the queue of the undesirables that you English people get used to going through now after Brexit, that queue. <laughs> and the players would have to wait for an hour because they're searching Barnsley because why you got a Jamaican passport? So as a matter of convenience, a British passport landed on my doorstep. I don't remember filling any forms in. Someone called the Queen, someone <laughs> said, yo, we got a special case. Pass it through. So, of course, you played in the 1990 World Cup. Yeah. It wasn't a happy World Cup for me. Why? I wasn't fit. I wasn't fit at the start. Going... I had a hamstring injury all throughout that last season, but you try and get through it because who wants to then not play in the World Cup? And it wasn't until the Belgium game where I came off injured against Belgium um, as much as I wasn't fit even towards the end of the season. So, it wasn't... And, and I loved the team doing well. I supported the team. And then it was like, well, we got Cameroon now in the quarterfinals, and what am I gonna, you know, I'm, I'm feeling it, but I'm saying I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to, I'm, you know, play and not say I'm, I'm injured because of course it's the quarterfinals of the World Cup. But then after 20 minutes, I came off, so it wasn't a happy World Cup for me because I knew I couldn't do myself justice because my game in terms of the speed and what I do, I wasn't able to extend myself. So in all the games, I was playing within myself. Um, so to be honest with you, it was a little bit of a relief after the Cameroon game when it's like I can stop this whole thing about, you know, because to be honest with you. The big test would have been after Cameroon and we're playing Germany mm -hmm. and I'm injured, so I'm not playing, but had we won, am I, am I going to play in the final? I'm gonna be... But I, then I knew my World Cup was over after the Cameroon game. So it was a fantastic World Cup in terms of the camaraderie and my love and hope that the players would do well. And that's the best team spirit internationally I've ever felt. Because no matter what people tell you, no matter what footballers tell you, when they're not in the team, do they want their player, the, the, the person in their position to do well? No, they don't. So you didn't want you're you, being honest. You, no, 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 oh. no. Probably generally speaking. Okay, yeah. Generally speaking, yeah. that's the case. You know, they say, "Oh, well done to the team, and you're not playing, and they've won, and I'm not played." But in that, I can put my hand on my heart and say that I really wanted the team to do well because the team spirit was so good, and I knew that 
okay, I'm injured and we're going through a hard time with the press. They're giving us a hard time and the, the, the siege mentality that we had because the press were giving us a hard time. Bobby Robson, the players. So that was one of the best team spirits I've been involved with, even knowing that I wouldn't be part of it. Do you think playing five at the back in that Germany game was the reason England... Uh... No, well, we changed the five at the back before oh. because a lot of players had the meetings with them and said, this mm -hmm. will suit us even more. It was, and in fact, in fact, and once again, you talk about football and you won and, you know, against Arsenal and when you, that was the best game we played. Belgium should have beaten us. They were better than us on the day. Cameroon should have beaten us. They were 2-0 up. 2-0 up and they were very naive to come forward and lead themselves wide open to the back. And the best game we played was against Germany and we lost. So that is, you know, once again, you talk about fate because that was a great performance against the best, one of the best teams. And we outplayed them, we were better than them, but we lost when Belgium were better than us and, and we beat them. And even Cameroon should have beaten us. So once again, it's fate. But um, no, you, you look to rationalize why you lose, but you look at the performance and you take the goals out of the performance and we played really well in that Germany game. Do you think there's something in the English national identity that they play f football too conservatively? Because maybe even Southgate at the recent Euro World Cup, it feels like perhaps with attacking options and how, how we could play. We're Northern Europeans, aren't we? Germans are the same. French have a Gallic flair. Italians are Catenaccia style. But once again, you talk about one of the teams and one of the most technically gifted players who play a very attacking style historically, Yugoslavia. So if you look at Yugoslavia and a lot of the southern European teams, Spain and Portugal and teams like that, but we are Northern Europeans and Northern Europeans are like that. That's so fair. it's not a question of being English, we're Northern Europeans, because Germany is exactly the same. You Ooh, know? So it's not a question of us being English. It's a question of us just being more conservative. Oh, I love how everything comes into <laughs> how a team wins the World Cup. You can assess it on so many levels. Well, look at Brazil. Well, you know, you go to the fair. beach and look at them dancing, you got the samba, that's the way they play. Look at Ronaldinho Calculina. and, you know, uh, Argentina. But Argentinians are Italians, so they're very, they are, they are, they are, they are not like South Americans. They're quite a Eurocentric. They are, them, Argentinians are, so therefore they have a little bit of both. You know, the Latin flair, but they also have this European mentality because their defenders are the toughest defenders you'll ever play against. The Argentinian defenders, they are like Italians. Mm. They're really, really tough. So that is why, that's why they have a very good balance. Whereas Brazil like to play this. And in fact, the, one of the best Brazil teams when they won um, in 94 in America was because they didn't play a Brazilian type of football. You had Dunga in midfield with a lot of these hardworking players. And the Brazilian fans were saying, this is not like in 82 when you had all these skillful players, but they won the World Cup because they had a better balance. It's fine in the yin and yang. There was a famous song. 1990, mm. World in Motion. So what had happened was, we did an album in 86, and no, it was rubbish, so, you know, and then 1990 so came along. Albums. Yeah, 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 no, please. <laughs> no, but you know what it was? No, but you know, football is what they did in the past when you got to a cup final. All it was was like, all the players' arms around each other, here we go, lad. So it was not a proper song. Football yeah, songs were so. just like, here we go, here we go. Yeah. So when 1990 came along, and Bobby Robson said he's going to do a song, we thought it was going to be terrible because we thought it was going to be like, here we go, here we go again. So oh, only six are. people turned up to do the song. Me, Gaza, Peter Bearsley, Des Walker, Steve McMahon and Chris Waddle, because the rest of the players went to the pub because they thought his song was going to be rubbish. When we got to the studios and we saw New Order, that's when we thought, oh, it's not us, it's New Order, and we're going to back them up. And that's why the song was good, because it's New Order song. So I tell people this all the time, but when the song got to number one, you saw all the players on the video, you saw Bobby Robson as if they were in the song, but they didn't, they weren't even there, right? Only six of us. So New Order are not a rap group. And at the end of the song, obviously, Everybody had a few drinks anyway, apart from Peter Bears who doesn't drink. At the end of the song, Keith Allen, I don't know if you know Keith Allen, Lily Allen's dad is the actor, he then was there as well. And he goes, why don't we just write a rap and put a rap in the song? So we wrote the rap. Right to the song had finished, there's going to be no rap. And of course, being a democracy, everybody had to have a go at the rap. And of course, I did the rap, but everybody had to have a go. And I tell this song all people this all the time. And six months ago, I was working in Leicester and the sound engineer who was there, he goes, my dad was a sound engineer who did that song. And he goes, I've got a recording of the sixth year doing the rap, and he sent it to me. So if you ever heard my rap, yeah? But you Go haven't on. heard Peter Bearsley do it, have you? Or Paul Gascoigne. Are we getting an exclusive get right now? Hey! So, wow. So I, don't I can't believe what's going on. This is a perfect way to end the show. Right. So. Am I allowed to dance to this, by the way? Oh. Yeah. You won't be able to dance to this when you hear Peter Bearsley's version of it, I can tell you. <laughs> And I'll play Gaza, call Gaza, I'll play Gaza for you. So I'm gonna turn it Gaza up. Here, yeah? Yeah. I don't know if I'm, I'll turn it up. So here's Peter Bearsley's attempt at the rap. Oh. 
So I know, you, I know you're bigging me up to do the rap, but look at the competition uh, I had. Uh, you want to hear Gaza? Hey, fam. You want to hear Gaza? There's so many things I can say, but let me not. There's Gaza. And um, Gaza wasn't bad, actually. I mean, so you'd be a bit disappointed. Gaza wasn't bad, but you recognize his voice. Yeah, I like it. Gaza. So that's Gaza. But it should be done like this. You got to hold and give, but do it at the right time. You can be slow or fast, but you must get to the line. Let's do another one. Sugar Hill Gang, Rapid Delight United. I said a hip hop, a hippie, the hippie, the hip hip hop, and you don't stop the rocking to the bang bang boogie to up jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. Now what you hear is not a test, I'm rapping to the beat. Then me, the groove, and my friends are gonna try to move your feet. See, I am Wonder Mike, and I'm like, more current time. One, two, three, until the fuck Four. Snoop Doggy Dogg and Dr. Dre's at the door. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Cause you know I'm about to rip. <laughs> Give it a microphone first, so can bust like a bubble. Come on a long beach together, now you know you're in trouble. Ain't nothing but a G thing. Baby. Too low down, going. Baby. There you go. What? How can Don't you worry, go to that? Skepta in your locker? No, 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 that, that, <laughs> that's, that, that's too modern. Okay, I do yeah. old school, old school stuff. Yeah, more old school chicken. No, 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 I'm not Bob Marley. I don't know who's to you Africans. You know, listen, listen, listen. Never mind the Africans trying to put it. And in that song, you rapped in an American accent, though, isn't it? Even though no, but rap music is American. I'm sorry. I don't speak in an English accent. I'm not from so so. This the modern music now, where you're, you're you're talking about Skepta and you're talking about Storms yeah, yeah, or whatever, yeah. I don't. I, that's not that uh, my age then. now. Back then, it was more rap. But that music. was an England national anthem song, right? Like it was like dropped. Yeah, but by you can't England, do rap so. music in an English accent. You now you do nah, you garage or yeah, whatever you call yeah. it or grime garage or whatever. Yeah. But back then, you couldn't have you rap couldn't, music. Yeah. It's like singing. Yeah. You know, you listen to all the singers now. Like, you know, they have they don't sing in okay, an English yeah. accent, do they? That was epic. Yeah, you know I mean, I'm mad exclusive. I feel like role. I could have sat with you and spoken for you. I, I think we could have. This could have been yeah. stripped, tight, stripped squared. Yeah. It could have just. I'm sorry on. to. I'm sorry to mess up your flow. Cause you're in your flow till you hear Peter Beardsley. Cause you're giving. I mean, oh, I mean you, you, were dancing, you were dancing. You were dancing to a different rhythm to Peter. No, I got to be busy. I stopped when you started. You had a different rhythm to Peter. You know, your flow was different to Peter. Sorry, Peter Beardsley, man. Music is not for you, man. <laughs> Listen, John. Thanks for coming. It's a pleasure. Um, it feels wrong me calling you just John Barnes. Like, I, I want to really call you Uncle. Or, yeah. or King? King? So, King? I mean, yeah, yeah King sir. John? Uncle? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uncle's all right. What Uncle, about Big Brother? Mr. Mr. Big Brother. Big Bro. Big Bro? Yeah. Mr. is um, well. Mr. is like. You've got, you, you've got more years than me. Yeah, that's why I'm your Big Bro. Big Bro. Um, I've got too many years to be a Big Bro. Should I be Big Bro? Uncle then. Oh. Go on, Uncle. No, no, Big Bro. I'm Mr. Because they call me, everyone calls me Uncle. So I say Big Bro. Yeah. So Big Bro, John Barnes, the legend. Oh, man, what a beautiful chat. I'm gonna have to get rid of my uh, Peter Bidsley poster. Not only that, you're mm. gonna to have to choose a team and stick with it. That's true. Oh yeah. no, you said I could support Arsenal, Bernie. Okay. What an episode. If you enjoyed it, tell a friend, subscribe, and we'd love it if you rated and reviewed the podcast. Tell us your all-time favourite shirt in the reviews as well. And also check out the previous episodes where you'll hear John Barnes' name being listed as an inspiration and an icon to many, many before him. Thanks to classicfootballshirts.co.uk, this has been Stripped with Specs and Vooge, brought to you by William Hill. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly.